I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12, and uh, these words will appear on the screen as other scriptures also. But the background to this message I want to bring, which is a positive and encouraging message, is some disturbing things that God is showing us about the state of our nation and the state of our city. And um, 20 years ago, uh, God gave me a vision, um, and I spoke about that to 5,000 of us as we gathered in one of London's central venues, bringing all the members and all the services and all the churches in our network together. And I've written up a little bit of that in this month's Revival Times, but I'll be going to Brazil for a few days, and when I return, we hopefully have a full booklet on it. We want to take it up with intercessors, take it all up. And essentially the message is this. We're living in days of judgment on this city of London. But any time that sin seems to be rampant and people are abandoning God, there is always a prophetic voice that calls people back. And it's not a message of doom and gloom, but it's a message of good news with the background of judgment always there. Do you know the gospel addresses the judgment of God? God judged Jesus in our place. That's grace. Grace isn't free. It's free to us, but it cost God everything. And I believe that God is going to take us, and I pray that Simon will help us, and believe that he will, take us into a, a new place in the Spirit whereby we accept some responsibilities that God has given us as a church. We're not the biggest, we're not the best, we're not the most, we haven't got it most together. But we've got one thing, we, we have a hunger that God would raise us up in this city to be a crazy bunch of people. Now, if you are thinking of joining this church, I want to warn you, we're, we're, we're a bunch of crazy people, but there's room for you, so it's okay. <laughs> but God can take a bunch of crazy people who are crazy enough to believe him, who are crazy enough to give everything to him. And that's the background, but I promise you I'm going to be nice today because God is a good God. Amen. Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him. This is the nation of Israel personified. Led him, led that nation. And he says, there was no foreign God with him. Now in today's world, in today's language, we have to be careful that we're not misunderstood. If I preach against foreign gods, it's not a swipe at immigration. It's nothing to do with nationalism or people from different nations. In fact, the message we have to this city 
with 119 different nationalities here is that we are all one in Christ because we serve the one true and living God. And he's not a British God. He's not an English God. Actually, if we look at the origins of faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, it's more Middle Eastern. So we are not preaching against immigration, other nationalities, when we say that we serve the one true and living God and nothing else compares with him. Everything that is foreign to him must be foreign to us. And by foreign, I mean that which does not match who he, he is has no place in our lives. And this is very important. Moses is recapitulating. Much of the story is found in the earlier books of Moses and now he's giving a fresh summary and he is reminding them of what happened when God called them out of Egypt as slaves and set them on a pathway to become sons and more than just sons in a little family but a nation that is capable of influencing the whole of the nation and the nations for God. And uh, back in Exodus 19, verse 4, this is a very similar verse, which occurs historically a little bit earlier. And this is what is in Moses' mind when he repeats it. Exodus 19, verse 4, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Amazing. Then centuries later, the prophet Isaiah goes back to the same image, back to the same revelation, and says, Isaiah 63, verse 9, In all their affliction I was afflicted. Do you see what kind of relationship this is? God feels your pain. And that is, in one sense, impossible, and would be impossible if God had not come down in the form of a man, as fully man as though he'd never been God, and in remaining as fully God as though he never became man. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So when he says, I'm with you, he knows what you go through. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them in his love and his pity. He redeemed them and bore them and carried them all the days of old. He's going back to the eagle image. And here he says, by the way, it was not a one-off thing. I'll get you out of trouble, then I'll drop you in the middle of the desert. No, God says, the one who birthed you, the one who carried you out of slavery into liberty, out of problem into solution, out of loneliness into fellowship, out of sin and into righteousness, that God who carried you has never stopped carrying you. Right now, you're being carried on the wings. You thought you came by the London Underground. No, you didn't. You were carried by the wings of an eagle in the person of the Holy Spirit, more commonly known as the dove of God. Amen and amen. I want to share three brief things about this, and I want to tell you. I nearly said warn you, but because it was on my mouth, I let it out. But I really meant encourage you, because to make some sense of some of the stuff that is happening, there is no secret God is stirring us up. 
some of the things that we thought we no longer think. Some of the direction that we heard, it's time to take a turn. It's time for a new thing. And God says, I'm doing a new thing. Forget the things that are behind. And at 65 years of age, I've got a lot to forget. But you know, greater is what is to come. Amen. Just personally, again, just personally, I, I believe that my best work for God lies ahead. Amen. 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 And the best days of Kensington Temple lie ahead. A church birthed in revival, healing revival, wheelchairs and clutches, uh, clutches, what are they called? Crutches, crutches, you crutch, you crack. Anyway, never mind. I know when God's moving, I I have no vocabulary. A church birthed in revival. Signs and wonders are miracles. And when God says the best days that lie ahead, get ready. Because this, watch this space. It's not us, it's not us, it's him. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, forget. God says, I'm doing a new thing. Be very careful, I've already prepared my next message for a couple of weeks' time. I'm so wanting to get to it, but I will reserve it. Because I have another message for you today. Three things. Three things about this relationship that we have. Number one, we are delivered for relationship. Did you see it? You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle, eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What a picture. God says, you know what? I rescued you out of slavery because I don't see you as slaves. I see you as my children, sons and daughters. That's how I see you. Wow, that's wonderful. Doesn't sound like religion to me. It sounds like a personal, intimate, and corporate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I brought you to myself. So this is the first thing. God has saved us and redeemed us and carried us to himself for an exclusive and intimate relationship with him. And he's saying, don't add anything that is foreign to my nature and my goodness and my glory in your life. Eradicate it. I'm jealous for you. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and says, Thus saith the Lord. I don't know if he spoke like that, but I did. Let my people go. Who? What? Which God? Why? We, we, we want to have a worship service. A worship service? That would be ridiculous. That's what it was. Bring them up that we may worship him and serve him at a mountain, the mountain of God. It was put in terms of who is to be worshipped. Do you know that every challenge that comes to your life and every challenge that comes to my life could be reduced to this statement, who am I going to worship? And the devil wants worship. If you know the origin, Satan was not created. He became Satan, a beautiful angel of God, but he desired to be worshipped. And it's the devil's intention to get your eyes off Jesus and make someone, something more important to you than him. Amen, amen. We're, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, and so this was, it was all about worship. Isn't it amazing 
how much worship comes back. The signature musicians, they may be hiding in the dark. They've got to hear this. There you are. Good on you, Jono. Great anointed worship leader. We, 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 we've got to take worship more seriously. Because out of that worship service, as they worship God before the mountain, all the history and salvation and redemption and manifestation and revelation of God was poured into this earth through the Jewish nation. It all came out of a worship service. Everything that flows that is good to you comes out of worship when you get to know God and live in his presence. Deliverance for relationship. Then, at this point where we read it, it's actually changing, especially in Exodus 19. God says, okay, I've delivered you, brought you to myself, but um, I now want to start to define this relationship The deliverance makes us sons, but the commitment we make to God determines how much we get to know him. You know, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your, your entrance to heaven is guaranteed not by your righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ and the blood of Jesus, which cleanses you from every sin, qualifies you for the holy presence of God forever. But that doesn't mean to say that we can be careless in our relationship because God has clearly defined it. You see, in the first instance, they were flying free with no effort and no responsibility. Salvation is a gift from God for which you've made no effort, entirely free, and for which you have no responsibility but to believe. But in any relationship, if we want to grow together and develop together, you've got to get to know one another. There's got to be some discovery of another person's ways and what pleases them. And God, who is the ultimate reality of the universe, beside him there is no other, that God is a holy God, and he says, if you're going to get close to me, then this is how you're going to have to do it. This is how you're going to have to live. Now, for us, it's not just a demand, but the Holy Spirit lives in us, empowering us to, to find out what pleases the Lord and, and to live accordingly, even though we stumble in many, many, many ways. But God says, I, I, I'm taking you and developing this relationship and, and it includes obligations. Do you know that commitment between people is still a big thing today. That's why a lot of people don't marry when they should marry. They say, we'll try it out. We'll live together and if we like it, we'll move on. Hmm. In God's way, you don't get to test drive. Thank you. Who said that down here? Okay. Thank you. And um, why are we scared of commitment? Why, do, why are we scared of commitment? Listen, I'd be scared of committing to 
a crazy person. I'd be scared of committing to a bad person, but I should never be scared of committing to a good person or loving or giving or forgiving. Come on. It's the devil that says, hold back, hold back. You don't know what this guy's going to do with you. But when you give everything, and I, I, I was going to describe it as blind faith, but it's, it's faith, but it ain't blind. Because you see, the Bible says that our God is a God who is good and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Our God is a rewarder, not a withholder. Definition of relationship, it's covenant commitment. Then moving rapidly on, the third thing I wanted to say at this point about this relationship is that there is a discipline in this relationship because God has an intention bigger than we can imagine. There were just kind of 12 tribes still with this whiff of slavery on them. And God said, you know what? I'm fulfilling my ancient promise to Abraham, my servant, where I said, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. And indeed, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God took this rabble, this ragtag bunch of redeemed slaves, and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And in order for that to happen, there has to be discipline, there has to be growth, and there has to be an understanding of who you are. Let's look at where we are today. Here we are. Now, Kensington was a wonderful church, wonderful people, wonderful place, and so forth. But you know, I was just thinking, I wonder what the media makes of the church. Well, we know, because we watch the media. They feel that we can be ignored, and all they want to do is point cameras at empty chairs and saying, apart from a few cats and grannies, the church is emptying. They haven't pointed the cameras here recently, and we're not the only ones. The Church of Jesus Christ is growing in Britain. Did you know that? And what is crumbling, what is crumbling is the outer shell and the show and, and nominalism, but the Church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. But even us, in all our strength, we still look like a bunch of ridiculous people. Because we are. God delights in ridiculous people. Because when they look at us and see what we're incapable of, it's time for them to see what God is capable of. Let me tell you the story while this, I'll pick this point up again in the future. But the, the, the word here is nationhood. And I want us to develop the third phase of the vision that we've worked out over many years, and that is the vision for nationhood. Jesus said, go and disciple the nations. London and the world for Christ. That's who we are. And I began to understand this as a concept quite accidentally, although I believe God was in it. Many years ago when I was the uh, chairman of the committee for Morris Sorello's mission to London. Anybody remember those days? It seems like a different universe, it seems like a different incarnation. You know, I've had lived several lives since then. But there was a lot of um, antagonism from the press. Morris Sorello was claiming miracles. Miracles were happening and the BBC and others were denying them. 
but keeping the footage to one side for later because there was stuff they couldn't explain. I can prove that if anybody challenges me, but let's, le let's leave that out of it for the moment. And um, one of the things, there was a lot of um, protests by people with disability. Because one of the sets of publicities were empty wheelchairs, uh, walking aids just abandoned, just like we found when we dug out the, the basement here all those years ago, following the healing revival under George Jeffries. And um, so, basically, these people were saying, you are demeaning people with disability by suggesting that they could or should be healed. But actually, they were looking for a platform. Isn't it amazing how they've got to climb on an evangelist platform to be heard in the nation? So I say, I said to them then, and I say to them now, God bless you. Use whatever means to let people hear what you have to say, but don't, don't rain on our parade. And there was an interview with people from the so-called deaf community, and they were explaining to a journalist their outrage. And I can't remember the outrage, but I remember this. At that particular point, the journalist leaned over and said, well, we really do believe that we should listen to what you say, those of you who are in the deaf community. And I thought that was a good statement. But the interviewee turned very strongly on the, on the journalist and said, how dare you call us a community? We're not interested in community. You ought to speak of us as the deaf nation. I thought that's strange language. But you see, when I hear something like that, I, I try to work out why. I'm one of these strange people. I don't know, Simon is like, that's why we get on. But we want to ask why. We want to ask the awkward question. Why? No, I got it. And if you get it, too, I've not written much about this. I hope God will give me grace for us to go into this direction. But here's the thing. We're not called just to be a Christian community. We're called to be of such influence that the nation hears about us and we affect the nation. We affect its values. We affect its politics. We affect its economics because we are salt and light in the whole of the nation. God said, I don't want you just to be my children, a little family in some little nest somewhere. I don't want you just to be my son sitting at my table. I want you to be amongst those who know what it is to stand in the nation and influence whole nations for God. Now, we could go into Old Testament history, how that was to do with law, instruction, God's ways, and order, administration, and training, and all the rest of it. Now, we don't need to do that because we're not studying Old Testament history today, but you get what is necessary, and God is stirring up the nest that we will rise and grow, that we will become, in quotes, a nation, or have a national influence. Yes. And that's why, by the way, it is so important that we recognize that we belong to a national movement. A national movement. In other words, the witness to the nation is not just what Kensington Temple does. The witness as a nation is what 
I and others on that national leadership team and the national structures of Elam, you may not agree with our structures. Any structure that we have is going to fall short of God's perfection. But we know this, that God has called us to serve as part of a national move. And that is not the end of it because as we link together with other national flows of the Holy Spirit and streams and traditions of all different shapes, sizes and labels, we can make a difference in our nation. Can I ever have an amen? I'm coming into land, but it's an eagle landing, so get ready. My message to you at this point is, you can't stay in the nest forever. Sir, can I use you as an example? Just, just go with it. I'm not going to embarrass you. Can I use you as an example? You're, are you are you okay with it? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> you, as an example for everybody, you've been too long where you are. God's got more for you. Get out of the nest. There's potential in you. You have eagle's wings that you haven't learned to use just yet. Okay? If that doesn't fit, it's an example. I'm not trying to be clever or prophetic. I'm not, I could have chosen any of you. Or me. So here's the picture. It's a wonderful picture of how an eagle teaches its young to fly. What does it do? Get out of the nest. No. Get out of the nest. No, we like it here. It's time to get out of there. You're an eagle. You, it's time to fly. Come on, son. It's time to fly. Fly, what's that? It's what mommy and daddy do. Oh, I can't do that. Yes, you have. What are these? Those are wings. Wings. They're sp you're supposed to spread them. Fly. Come on. Give it a go. No. And they stick to the nest. And so you know what the eagle does? Gets rid of the nest. <laughs> Tears it up. You know, it stirs up the young. That's what it does. Get, so there's nowhere safe to stay and they've got to go. And then the little eaglets are lined up at the edge of the precipice and all they see, oh, 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 oh mommy, I, I'm dizzy. I got vertigo. You, you're a bird. You don't know what vertigo is. You're an eagle. You are there to defy vertigo. You're going to soar where eagles alone dare to soar. Oh, no, I don't feel like it to make tomorrow money. No, today. And so then along comes, guys, I'm dramatizing a bit. You do, you do get that. Okay, all right. So along comes either mama or daddy, I don't know who, either of them, and lines the eagles up and kicks them off, yes. kicks them off, kicks them off. And they start dropping like stones because they don't know what those wings are there for. Anybody feel you in a free fall? Anybody feel you're spiraling downwards? And what you knew don't exist no more. And there's something God has thrown all the out because he's got something better. Amen. He's thrown the old out. He's got something better. Better, 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 better. He's got something better. Now then, the eagle doesn't do it. Leave it there because eagle's a loving bird. All right, what God will do to provoke you to your destiny will never risk your life. It'll just feel like it. And then the eagle swoops down, carries the bird up on the wings, and tries again. And maybe after three, four, five, six, seven, seventy-seven times, suddenly, some little eagle says, I had enough of this, stretches out its wings, and whoo, it takes off. Yes. Yeah. And the eagle understands who it really is. Not some little eagle chicklet, chicken feeding little thing there, and high up in the, in the security of some crevice protected by mama, papa. No, this eagle has been born to fly and to soar. God's stirring up the nest. <laughs>